can't choose the timing when the Holy Spirit moves in your heart. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shevna, the secretary and senior priests, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rav Shekah, whom is the master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm quite moved this morning, and will do my best to bring to you the Word of God. Before I begin uh, the sermon, there was something I should have mentioned earlier, and that is uh, something you should see in your seat that looks like this. Would you get it now for me, please? Who's your one? On Sunday, December 19th, we will have uh, five services here that day. Currently, we have four. We will have five. There will be the addition, in, in addition to the 8, to the 9.30, to the 11, and to the 5, there will be a 3 p.m. service. The theme of that day will be joy to the world. You will fill it in the parking lot and in the lobbies, and wow, our world needs some joy, doesn't it? And uh, the music and the message will be evangelistic in nature, and you will receive the opportunity to, uh, to come to know Jesus if you don't know him, just like you do every Sunday here, but especially that day. What we're asking you to do is to pray for someone and invite them to join you for worship. And if you'll put their name here and leave this in next steps. Our prayer folks here at Grace will pray for your one as well. And then this becomes your guide uh, uh, to pray, just 30 days of Scripture that will help you. I know you may look around and say, well, Jerry, where in the world would we put them if I, I did this? And we'll trust God with that and, and put our heads together on it. And of course, we have the 8 a.m. and the 11 and the this by far is our biggest service, but the 8A, the 11, the 3, and the 5 that day, and it's a candlelight service, and that tends to pull people toward the evening anyway. So let me encourage you to do that. Your singing has been most encouraging this morning. It uh, 
has been a few weeks uh, of, of really walking with people through difficult times. And as your pastor, it's been a gift to hear you sing. Let me jump into the sermon. We are talking about repentance. Um, and as Dave has pointed out, as he was leading worship, we are all inherently flawed. Uh, we all fail, every single one of us. Uh, the question isn't, uh, will we make mistakes? It's, what will, we do, what will we do when we fail? Last week, we talked about our tendency to push the I can fix it button. And last week in life groups, you examined your go-tos other than God. And or in addition to God, uh, these things you tend to go to when your life is unraveling a bit or falling apart or there's a difficulty that just comes your way. And all of this is centered around King Hezekiah. And so we have new folks, so let me just bring you up to speed for a bit. King Hezekiah, king uh, of Israel during a difficult time when Assyria, or king of Judah rather, which was the kingdom in the south, and Assyria is in the north and it has completely overthrown Israel by this time and now has marched into Judah in the south, has devastated 46 cities and uh, Jerusalem is going to be 47. And they showed up uh, to Jerusalem, and when they did, they demanded uh, gold and silver, uh, or before they showed up, they demanded gold and silver, and Hezekiah uh, took all the gold and silver out of his treasury, and when that wasn't enough, got extra gold uh, out of the temple and scraped it, peeled it away from the temple doors and the doorpost, and paid one ton of gold and ten tons of silver to Sennacherib, king of Assyria, but it wasn't enough. And so they threatened to cut off the water supply, besiege the city, and starve out the people. They uh, sent uh, a message, a vile message, that everybody in Jerusalem would eat their own dung and drink their own urine. This was a violent, awful king. And Hezekiah knew that money wasn't enough, and he knew that the button he pushed wouldn't fix the problem he faced. And so he repented. I love the honesty of Scripture, and in the honesty of Scripture, we learn and see Hezekiah's repentance. And here is the definition of repentance. This is a simple one. Repentance is to turn from sin and turn to God. That's what repentance is. It is to turn from sin and turn to God. Years ago, we had a young woman live with us. Some of you knew her and met her and got to know her. Her name was Isatu Ja. She was from Senegal, Africa. Her nickname was Icy. Icy uh, became dear friends with Hannah, our daughter. They were the same age or close to the same age. And Icy even graduated high school here before she left. Uh, Hannah went on to college, and she played college volleyball, and her team made it to the national tournament. And when they did, we traveled to Toledo, Ohio, to watch the games when her team uh, made it. And we discovered that Icy was living in Detroit. And we thought it would be a gift and a surprise to Hannah to go to Detroit and to bring Icy down to Toledo for a visit. 
So I left uh, Toledo to go to Ohio or, or to go to Detroit, and I, I was nervous. Detroit makes me nervous. I'd heard stories that there are certain streets you don't want to be found on in Detroit. And, and knowing how I roll, I knew I'd end up on one. <laughs> and I was just nervous. And so I headed out, and, uh, and Isia told me where she was. I wasn't to her yet, and I didn't end up in one of those, on one of those streets. I ended up in Canada. <laughs> I'm not lying. I, I looked and went, oh, no. And I pulled into this place. I just crossed the border, and I pulled into this place because it said you can't turn around. And I went in, and I said to the person, you know, no disrespect, but I don't want to be in Canada. And they said, oh. And you could tell it was a, another one of those things. And they said, all right, somebody's going to meet you at a gate. You just follow that gate, go through it, and it, there's only one way back. Just follow the gate. Sure enough, somebody met me at a gate. They opened the gate. I went through this one-lane deal that got me. Uh, it was so weird to be the only one on it, but the one-lane deal that got me back to the United States. That's repentance. Repentance is a gate that God opens to get you out of where you don't want to be to where you ought to be. It's a gift. It's a gracious gift from a God who knows you're going to fail. And that's the gift Hezekiah received. So in this sermon, quite simply, I'll preach on how to repent, and, and then finally, on what God does when you do. As soon as Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priest covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. Um, Hezekiah took off his kingly robes. And he put on sackcloth. What is sackcloth? Uh, technically and specifically, it's goat hair. When you wear it, it rubs your skin and hurts you. It makes you uncomfortable. So technically, it's goat hair. But metaphorically or spiritually, what it showed was this. It showed that that you were in mourning or repentance. For a king of a nation to take off his royal robes and put on the debased garment of sackcloth was a major move. Not only did he wear it, but others did too in his kingdom and in his leadership. You see, sackcloth didn't make you repentant. It didn't make you humble. It simply showed you were. Sackcloth and ashes were used as an outward sign of one's inward condition. An outward sign of one's inward condition. Uh, such a symbol made uh, the reality 
uh, of one's inside heart visible to others. How does someone get to sackcloth? Meaning, how does someone get from realizing that what she as a college student is doing is steeped in sin, or he as a married man is doing is wrong and immoral, and get to uh, sackcloth and ashes is added? Uh, how? Repentance begins with humility. Only a humble person will admit that he or she has failed. It takes humility. And once there is the attitude of heart, and I would say to you this morning, if you're listening uh, online or you're in the room, and if you know that there is sin in your life and you do not yet have that attitude of heart, the Lord will give that to you. He'll give you humility. Ask him to humble your heart. I know people say, don't pray for humility or don't pray for patience. That's, uh, no, 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 no. Do pray that God will give you a humble heart. Repentance begins with that, and humility leads to confessing. To confessing. To confess is to agree with God and usually someone else that what you did was wrong. Notice what Hezekiah did. They said to him, to whom? To Isaiah. They go to Isaiah. Who's Isaiah? Isaiah is the man of God for the king. He's the man of God for the people of God. He's the representative of God. They go to God's representative. You could go straight to him this morning, uh, and they could have too, and most likely Hezekiah had already. But he sent his men to Isaiah. And they say to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. Hezekiah says things are so bad that moms who've carried their babies for nine months are now at that uh, jubilant occasion, and they don't have the strength to bring that baby out of their womb. This is widespread panic. This is an outbreak of fear. The king of Assyria is a real threat to us. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. In other words, Isaiah, would you pray for us? It takes humility to say to somebody, would you pray for me? I, I need your prayers today. I need help. That takes humility, doesn't it? I would ask you also, do you have an Isaiah in your life? 
Do you have someone to whom you can go? If you're married, should be your spouse. You should have that kind of marriage to where that if she notices you're left of center, she can graciously say, are you okay? You seem off to me today. Or he can say to you, is everything good? Things don't seem good with you today. But then do you have someone other than your spouse. This week in your life group lesson, if you're in a group of, of men and women, husbands and wives, part of the lesson will be breaking into two groups, men with men and women with women, and, and forging some relationships around some difficult questions of repentance that will help you to realize that God in his grace gives us the Isaiahs in life. So that before we've wrecked, right, or in my case, before you end up in Canada, somebody's in the car saying, I don't think you should go that way. We all need that, don't we? We do. What is the result of re repentance? It's obedience. The result of repentance is obedience. To repent is to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. It isn't to simply stop doing the wrong thing. Repentance involves a substitute behavior then. There's something that you do instead of. Some of you may be familiar with Promise Keepers, a movement, oh my goodness, 25 years ago, a men's ministry, events held in stadiums across the nation. I attended several of those at one, I think it was Bruce Wilkinson who was speaking on holiness. And as he was speaking, if it was uh, Bruce Wilkinson, as he was speaking on holiness, there was a spirit of conviction that filled that arena full of men. He spoke on purity. He spoke on faithfulness to one's spouse. He spoke on marriage. He spoke on fidelity as a father. He spoke on those things that mattered to men. And when he was done, this preceded the days of cell phones. There were lines of men at pay phones calling their wives, seeking forgiveness. That's the end result of repentance. It's obedience. It's, it's doing the right thing instead of the wrong thing. It's not enough to quit gossiping, use your tongue in a good way. That's obedience. It's not enough to quit lusting, love your wife instead of lusting after another woman. It isn't enough to just stop sin without doing the right thing in its stead. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced, and you'll look at this in your life group lesson this week, but I'm convinced that the reason sin gets repeated so often is there's nothing new that happens in its stead. And so that the person stops doing something but never starts doing what ought to have been done in the place of what he or she was doing before. 
The result of re repentance is obedience. So repentance begins with humility. It, it leads to confession and it results in obedience. But how does God respond when you repent? We see it here, and I'm so glad. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, Hezekiah, you idiot. Is that in your translation? All right, no, it isn't. Thus says the Lord, Hezekiah, don't you know better? No, don't find it there. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. God says, I got this. Uh, what does this tell us about God and his response to a repentant child? God reassures repentant children. He reassures repentant children. You see, Jesus told a story of a dad who had two sons. One son looked at his father at an early age and said to him, give me all that I will get when you die. In other words, he's wishing his father were dead. And the dad gives him all that. And he went away and wasted all of his inheritance. In one translation renders it riotous living. It got so bad that he ended up eating pig slop. What they fed pigs. And he came to his senses. And he said, what am I doing? I have a father who's got uh, servants. I can become one of his servants. And he made up a speech, and he recited the speech, and he decided to go back home. Covered in pigsty. Clothes are rags, barefoot. And the way Jesus tells that story is when he was a long way off. Father, sitting on the porch, looked down the road and saw his boy. And what did he do? got up, and he ran to his son, pigsty and all, and he wrapped his arms around him, and he called to one of his servants, and he said, get him a robe, 
Put shoes on his feet. Get a ring for his hand. For this, my, my son was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Could I say something to you this morning? Those of you who have wandered away, there is a God who's sitting, looking long down the road past the sins that you've committed, and he longs for you to come running home to him. Amen, church? He longs for you to come home. He's waiting. There's a room full of people in here who were once in that son's shoes, weren't you? You had wandered away and you came home and you found a father who embraced you. Let me share some verses with you that will drop this point more. Psalm 51, 17, written by David after he had blown it. Adultery, murder. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Zechariah 1 3, therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will what? All right, let's do a little better than that, and I will what? Return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Joel 2, 12 and 13, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. That is the humble attitude of a repentant sinner. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is what class? And slow to and in what? Wow. And he relents over disaster. Let the wicked forsake his way, Isaiah 55, 7, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have what on him? And to our God, for he will what? Abundantly pardon. Why don't we repent then? If that is our God, why don't we repent? You see, I, Hezekiah got God, didn't he? He came back. Like, he, he came back. He got God. Why don't we repent? I, I'll give three reasons. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not assuming that one of them is that you don't want to, because that is one. That is one of the reasons. So I'll leave that there. Some of you are listening to me this morning, and I may as well be talking to the concrete floor. I get that. God will have to change your heart. I can't do that as much as I want to, as much as I want to see you get from where you are to where you need to be. That's in his hands. But what about people who are in angst over their sin? They're bothered by it. They're frustrated by it. Why don't you repent? I'll share three reasons. It's not an exhaustive list. The first I call shame. I'm afraid of what others will think. When you're already worried about going to life group, and some of you have decided to skip because you sure don't want to huddle up and own your stuff. I'm afraid of what others will think. Unbelief. I don't believe God will respond like that. Finally, despair. I can't change. You've done what you've done for so long that you don't see your life without that addiction. 
without that pet sin, you're in despair. I'm going to guess that no one in the room rises to the level of the sin of King David. Saw Bathsheba, called her to himself, committed adultery with her. She became pregnant. He sent for her husband, Uriah, who was one of his 400 mighty men. Uriah comes. He sends him to Bathsheba so that they can be together and cover up this pregnancy. Uriah, as a warrior, won't do it. David makes him drunk. Surely then, in his drunken stupor, he'll go in to his wife. Even in his drunkenness, he won't do it. David sits down, puts pen to paper, and writes Uriah's death warrant. Joab put him in the heat of the battle. Man-to-man combat where he'll die. Gives it to Uriah who unknowingly carries his death warrant in his hand. And he dies. Surely all is well now, right? Psalm 32 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Psalm 32 written by King David after his sin. Blessed. That word means happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For here it is, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. According to the account, David covered this up for almost a year. He had a miserable year. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is what? Who is what? This means that godly people sin and must repent. If he says, let everyone who is godly, then those people who are godly are people who sin. You and I, when we come to Christ, will then have a lifestyle of repentance. It's not a one and done. It is for the rest of your life. The Spirit will bring to your mind sin, and you must repent. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. Some of you you are hiding from God, and he wants you to hide in him. 
You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God is now speaking. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near to you. I grew up on a farm. We had a horse, and we... I'm not this old, but we had a wooden plow. We lived that far back in the hills of Tennessee, and our horse pulled a wooden plow. And the way you kept the horse in the row was bit and bridle. Yanked that thing, and it would give that horse enough pain to know which way to go. God says, don't be like that. I'd rather love you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We're going to come back to a song we've sung already, and Molly's going to lead us yet again. Why? Because some of you, I'm afraid, don't believe these words quite yet. Would you bow your heads? If the Spirit right now is convicting you of sin, be it small in comparison to other sins you may have committed at other times in your life, or be it large and you never thought you would go down this road and do this, I don't want this moment to pass and this sin go unconfessed to the Lord. This is your time to pray. may your people whose hearts are broken over their sin see you running toward them as the father did toward his boy receive your embrace your abundant pardon your ready forgiveness
more than enough, Lord. Your word tells us that your love is abounding so much that it will never run out. Lord, your mercies are endless, and for that, we say thank you. There's nothing we would be able to do to stand before you saying, God, look at us. Instead, we stand before you, God, saying, look at us. We have nothing to offer. Jesus, you went to a cross with everything to offer and gave it up so that those of us who are sinners in need of a Savior could trust in you and, and Lord, be saved from our sin. So we thank you this very day that you are a God of salvation, and we come before you now thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen.